Good day, dear listeners. Steve Preda here with the Management Blueprint Podcast. And my guest today is Scott Detman, the CEO of Avanica, an entry-level career launching company focused on providing a better way to connect high-potential talent to meaningful career roles using data science, psychology, and a little bit of empathy. Scott, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Yeah, it's great to have you. So Scott, tell me a little bit about your journey. How did you get into recruitment and this whole concept of career launching and become the CEO of this company? Uh, yeah, well, I think for me, it all starts sort of how I grew up. I grew up in, in the city of Milwaukee, pretty blue collar, had to sort of work pretty hard and find ways to, to open up doors to opportunity. Ended up playing football in college for a little while and then came out of school and graduated from college in 2009. And that was not the best time in the world to be starting your uh, starting your career. So I kind of looked out and tried to match up what I had in my arsenal, which was a political science degree with the available career opportunities, which were few and far between. So I started applying like crazy and started getting rejected like crazy at the same time. There's a lot of that. So ultimately ended up getting one opportunity for an interview, kind of made my case, worked out. I can talk more about that. But through that process, it really sort of cemented in me this idea that people were just looking at the words on my resume or what my degree said and not really giving me a chance to sort of tell my story. And I felt like my story was compelling and I had a lot to offer, but I couldn't get that message through. And it was so frustrating, just feeling like I had so much to say and nowhere to say it. And so yeah, after I started my career, I, this th that thought lingered in the back of my head for a while. I ended up going back to school, went to grad school, started studying data science. And while I was pursuing a PhD, Manpower Group, one of the largest human capital organizations on the planet, reached out to me and said, hey, we collect all this data on people and on helping them start careers, but we don't really know what to do with it. What are your thoughts? Come help us. So that really introduced me sort of to this world of career in a formal sense, the human capital arena. But I would say that sort of fixation with being able to tell your story and feeling like there was more than just the lines on a resume really started right after college when I was trying to open doors for myself. That's fascinating. So it's basically, I mean, that often help, happens to entrepreneurs that they realize that there is a need that they have that no one feels. And then it turns out it's not, they are not the only one. And there are a lot of people out there and you can turn it into a business opportunity or a leadership opportunity. So what happened? You Did you join that company? And then how did you get to run Avenica in the end? Yeah. So I started working in Manpower Group and sort of took the approach of being a learn-it-all versus a know-it-all. And I just started going and learning about different parts of the business, really started to kind of work with people that had firsthand knowledge of how that operation worked. And I really just got fascinated by this idea that this was a company that existed to help connect people to economic opportunity, right? Like the power of work is so compelling. And so I really, I really sort of fell in love with that. And pretty early on there, my data science skills and predictive modeling, using big data, it was pretty rare to be in that organization at that time. So I became like everybody's favorite party trick that I got brought into every meeting and even things that really didn't apply to me. I'd get brought into meetings and people would be like, and Scott, what do you think? You want to add any data perspective, anything we could be you know, looking at? So really kind of launching my career it was such a great opportunity to just be in all of those different meetings, to hear all those different perspectives. And pretty early on, I made my mark and had a couple of executives sort of take notice of me. I was also, as I mentioned, I'm, I'm a poor kid who grew up on the south side of Milwaukee. So in some ways, I've used that to my advantage. And I don't, I don't back down quickly when challenged. And I remember one instance in particular with a CEO of Manpower Group 
by the name of Daryl. He challenged me in a meeting and he frequently did this to people and he was pretty intimidating, crazy smart. And I stood up to him and I held my ground and he respected that. And so I kind of caught his attention and he sort of took me under his wing. And following that, I just got sort of put on this rocket ship where they were, you know, Manpower Group would sort of put me in different opportunities, different business lines, different exposures, different experiences. And I did that for the first like four years I was there. And it was awesome and really, really rewarding. I had a lot of fun, but I would say my real career there started when I left corporate. So I was in the, you know, this corporate position. I was part of every meeting, involved in all these strategic projects. It was great. Right. And then it kind of dawned on me that if I was ever going to do the things I wanted to do and make the impact I wanted to make, that I had to get closer to the business. Like I had to get closer to where it was happening, where the action was happening. And so I talked to the CEO at the time and the president at the time, told them that they were thrilled. And they were like, that's exactly the right mindset. You should be thinking that way. And so my wife and I, well, she was, I think, eight months pregnant at the time, packed up and we moved to Minnesota to take over a region that was struggling and started to go try and run the business. And it was my first real exposure to that. And that was an experience in and of itself. But yeah, that really gave me that first sort of entry into the specific world of like launching careers. Because I'd been on the periphery, right? I'd been in these support and strategy roles, transformation roles and stuff, which was great. But there's no, <laughs> there's really no replacing the benefit from kind of getting kicked in the teeth out in, out in like a field operation, going and selling and working with candidates and all of that. And so I did that for a couple of years and had a great deal of success. And in doing that, I turned some heads and was identified by a group called University Ventures, who was looking for a CEO to come in to an organization they had just purchased and kind of build a new organization on top of an existing framework. And so I I wasn't looking, but I jumped at the opportunity. Okay, sounds good. So what does it mean, career launching careers? How is it different from recruiting? Yeah, uh, that's a great question. So recruiting is all kind of operates from a demand perspective, right? So you're a company that wants to add talent to your organization. I'm a recruiter. I go to you and say, tell me about the talent you want to add to your organization. And then I go try and find it. It's demand-oriented, and we're going to go try and find this individual or these skills. And the, the way that people do that is they search for keywords, they scan resumes, they cold call, they all those things, right? That's recruiting. That's very, very much so what 99% of people do. What we do is we operate on the inverse side of that. So we are a supply-side talent launching platform, right? So we start with the premise of there is potential out there that goes unnoticed, right? Potential is equally distributed, but opportunity is not. And so we try to create this really big net and get as many people coming in as possible. And then through systems of automation and testing and leveling, uh, we start to do some filtering, some matching, some, you know, and, and really kind of putting the candidate at the driver's seat, right? So they're kind of driving through the process, but we start with the supply side And then once we have our supply, then we go out to the market and say like, okay, what are some roles that these individuals could do? And what's a career path? What's a career trajectory? How can we go help them launch their careers? Because a lot of the talent that we work with is people that has a bachelor's degree, but it's in like I had political science or philosophy or English. And the world tells them, well, you can go to graduate school or you can write the next great American novel. I don't know. But you know, they they come to us and they want to launch a career, but they just don't really know what to do or where to go or how to get there. So we really start there and then launch them into hiring partners where they can make an impact. And there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes. I'm simplifying, but but that's the biggest difference is, is recruiting is demand-oriented. What we do is supply-oriented. So how is it different? <clears throat> how is the information different from the recruiter's information that you 
that you gain from these people? Are you able to take their unique attributes into account that people are not looking for and somehow combine it into something that people are looking for? How does it work? Yeah, so there's a variety of things. First of all, just on a very, at a very basic level, if I'm a recruiter and I'm going to take a job description that, that is describing a job that I may not very well understand, right? I may not really know what it takes to be successful in job XYZ, but I'm going to take this job description, which is usually pretty poorly written, to be honest, and I'm going to try and apply this to a set of skills or a type of person, right? And then I'm going to go search for that person or those skills. And the only way to really search for that is for those people that have those air quote skills to have that listed on their resume somewhere or for them to be actively applying to the job that you're recruiting for, right? So there's a whole lot of of sort of overlap and luck that has to take place for that process to work. It's Mm -hmm. so narrowly tailored to just specific words in specific places at specific times. So you're just, you're missing 80% of the available population by doing it that way. So where we differ is we're capturing people that have an interest in launching their career. We start there, right? And from there, we start to like understand what are the themes, what are the characteristics, What are the attributes? What is the skill set? And then we start to look at, okay, what are jobs, careers that people could launch into that have this sort of cluster of skills, this cluster of skills, that cluster of skills? And sometimes what we find is that people don't put things on their resume, but they actually do know how to do certain things. Like one of my favorite examples is somebody who kept the books, like the accounting books for a community theater that they were part of. They didn't realize they were doing financial accounting. But they had figured it out because it was important to them with this community theater. They had a history degree. And so like, they didn't think that they liked numbers. They didn't think they were analytical. And they would have never been a fit for anything based on the way they were telling their story for anything that was outside of being like a historian. So by moving beyond just those words and the way that we sort of talk about ourselves or the way that we think we should talk about ourselves, we really kind of open up this huge opportunity to really understand people's story, to get at the lines But, you know, to get at what's beyond the lines on the resume, as I mentioned at the outset, my career, I was a political science major, but I knew I could do so much more. And I had done so much more. I just didn't know how to fit that into a coherent one-page resume. I mean, resumes, for my money, are like the worst business tool on the planet, right? And And everyone agrees with that, but nobody's really challenging it. So that's what we're trying to do. So we first start with the bigger net. And then one of the keys to in the early stages of a career is really, you know, some basic things, right? If Unless you're talking about like, being a nurse or a pharmacist or a doctor or an engineer or something, a lot of the roles and a lot of the jobs that are required require interpersonal skills. They require people to be show up on time, to be kind, to be problem solvers, to be good communicators, right? Like, but none of these things, we don't have great ways to measure these things. So what we're trying to do is we try to kind of create these through the process of them applying to work with us. We create these, what we call levels, where it's sort of microcosm opportunities for them to prove out that they can do this. So let's say we send them a link to a video that they need to go watch. We can test whether or not they actually watch the video. Did they watch it in its entirety? And then from that, we say like, okay, what are the three salient things you learned from this interview? Find those, email those here. We're measuring how well do they follow instructions? How well do they follow through? Were they watching closely enough to be able to like glean salient points? And then how do they communicate those points? But these are all little things that like taken together with the larger sort of potential and the larger sort of larger sort of understanding of this person's story, you can really start to paint a picture of their potential. And then we layer on our own proprietary assessments that really kind of help match culture and preference. And so we take all of that in combination and we just get a much richer, better informed picture of who this person is and what they might do versus what they've done before. Mm-hmm. 
Fantastic. That's very interesting. So basically, there is a bit, fair bit of data science in there as well as understanding how people present themselves and what they don't, what they miss and how to glean it out of them and how to organize this information. Fascinating. So we can get a little bit deeper into this and your philosophy of how you are facilitating this process. But first of all, I'd like to ask about your framework that you have discovered. And one of the things that you mentioned in our pre-call was the Bezos blueprint, you called it. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about what that is and how it applies to your business? Yeah, well, so I can't take too much credit for that being that it was just in, you know, a book I just read. But a big part of the way that I think about my framework for managing a business or for leading is all about kind of three key things. It's always starting with people first. Right. It's kind of identifying the right people, the right seats, like who are the right people. There's a big focus on values and making sure that we are all kind of pulling in the same direction and making sure that we believe in the same things. Right. Like everyone's given different gifts. Right. But it's what you do with those gifts that really matters. And that's where your values really shine brightest. Right. It's like, how do you operate? How do you push back? Because, you know, if you're going to build a strong team, you need to have value alignment. And then I'm a data scientist by trade. So, like, everything for me is comes back to data. I think a lot of what I do is sort of like a connected to the scientific method, right? Thinking about things in terms of like, let's create a hypothesis. Let's do some observations. Let's test. Let's measure. Let's always be looking for ways to prove ourselves wrong, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, I think one of the things that people get wrong often when they think about innovation or they think about business is they're looking for the right answer. But as a scientist, you're also just, you find equal value in getting the wrong answer. And I think that's one of the things that I've been successful at in my career is just been willing to go find the wrong answers over and over until you get to the right one, right? And like, I think that's the scientist in me that just is willing to celebrate a null finding, right? I mean, it's it, like Edison who tested the incandescent right. light 3,000 times and every one of those failed tests were a step nearer to the ultimate goal. Yeah, and part of the way that connects back to like the people and the values is like, not everybody likes to operate that way. Right, you have to have a certain level of grit and tenacity to keep showing up and knowing that you're going to get knocked down. Right, you're going to show up, you're going to get it wrong, you're going to fail, you're going to fail, you're going to fail. But you have to, you know, I don't know if it's a little bit crazy or what, but like you need the kind of people that are not going to just give up when they don't, when it doesn't succeed the first time. I don't believe that you solve any problem by just finding the one right solution. Right. I think every solution is a combination of lots of failures that, that sort of pave that way. And so being willing to do that and operate that way, I think, is key. And then also, you know, as I mentioned, part of the scientific method is really just sort of observing things about the world and then constructing an idea around what you're seeing and why it's happening and then being willing to test it and be wrong. Mm-hmm. Right. And just re- repeating that over and over. I mean, my story is that for sure, I observed this frustration of like, I, c- I can't get my story out to the world. I can't communicate through this vessel of a resume, all of the potential that I have. And so, I mean, I applied for 400 jobs when I, when I graduated college, I got one interview. So I was one for 400. So not, wasn't a great batting average, but that was frustrating for me. Right. So then I was like, okay, why is that? Why, you know, I asked that question and then I created a hypothesis and then you sort of, you go from there. But I think thinking like a scientist is incredibly valuable in business. Yeah, totally agree with it. And actually, I share this experience. I once applied to 300 jobs and I got, actually, I got two interviews, but I only attended the one because they hired me. Oh, well, I see, there you go. go to the next one. But uh, I totally get it. It's a number game. You need to be willing to be willing to fail and pick yourself up and not despair. 
Yeah. So that's, that is uh, pretty cool. Now, I want to ask you something that you told me that you like to ask people. So I'm just going to throw it back at you. Uh, what is the one thing that you disagree with most people on? Well, thank you for asking me that. I, yeah, I get to ask people that question all the time. I rarely get asked that question myself. So the one thing I disagree with most people on is I don't believe in talent. And what I mean by that is I believe, as I said before, I think we're all given gifts. But anybody that can shoot a basketball or paint a beautiful picture or play an instrument or sing a song or act in a play or do anything, great. Anyone who does anything is able to do it because of the hours and hours and hours of work that they've put in. Nobody wakes up one morning and goes and plays hockey in the NHL. It just doesn't happen, right? It's, and we, I think we've sort of romanticized this idea of the overnight success, but the reality is there's no such thing as an overnight success. There isn't. And what seems like luck to other people, the people that are closest to it actually identify it for what it is. It's maybe like a joy that you get from something or a passion that is connected to a gift, which manifests to the world as a talent. But, the, but people use this word talent like, like it's something that you didn't have to work for. Or like, oh, you're so talented. Like, yeah, I, I, I call nonsense on that because anybody who's like, I had an opportunity once to, to talk to the coach of Apollo Ono. The Apollo Ono was the Olympic speed skater, won a bunch of gold medals. And I remember asking him this question of what makes Apollo different? Like, why does he win so much? Why does he win so often? And I remember him saying something to the effect of like, there are hundreds of guys with his sort of genetic composition. Right, that have the right sort of because that is part of it, right? You need to. It's hard to be an Olympic speed skater if you're eight feet tall, right? It's just not going to work that well. There has to be. There is a gift component, but it's all about what you do with that. But there's hundreds and hundreds of people, maybe thousands, that that have a similar sort of genetic makeup. Maybe even some that have a better makeup. But at the end of the day, it's the willingness to enjoy or find enjoyment in the pain of getting better, right? Mm-hmm. If you can lean into that and get better every day, and be sort of addicted to it, that's what makes talent. Right. I mean, I just, from the time I was a little kid, I used to scribble something on all of my folders and notebooks and everything in school. And it was always talent is an inch in the mile of success. And imagine like a seven-year-old, what a weird kid I must've been, right? Like (laughs) writing that on a folder. But in my mind, it was always like, you're born certain ways. You've got certain things. Stop obsessing about that. Figure out what you want to do, figure out what you want to be and go be it. Right. And like find ways to use your gifts or lack thereof as gifts, right? Like what you have and what you've been through. I mean, I've been through some challenging things in my life, but I think that those have all made me better. So, like, are those really challenges or hindrances or are they actually just gifts in disguise? And I think when we classify things as talent, we take, we're telling the world this lie that like it just, there are some people that have it and some people that don't. Right. And I think that that's just wrong. And it just, no. it just discourages too many people. In fact, I, I'm working on a new book. And one of the things I found in my research is that uh, most companies develop their advantages through overcoming their constraints. Yeah. So, so one of the examples is Ikea Kamprad, who founded Ikea. He lived, essentially, he lived on a farm. He was in the middle of nowhere. Right. There was no market, nothing. And he figured out that he could sell he could import some pans from switzerland and sell it through a sales letter to people because he knew the sentiment he could actually compel them to purchase that stuff and that sales letter that he started writing by hand that eventually turned into the most published document ever they printed something like three million copies or 30 million copies some crazy number of the ikea catalog 
eventually okay. became one of the strengths of the company. And the whole IKEA story is full of that. So every time there was an obstacle, like they tried to fit this table into the car and they were so frustrated, they broke off the leg in frustration and said, oh, maybe we can make this modular. Yeah. It turned into this whole flat pack idea. So, so actually constraints and overcoming the constraints creates that competitive advantage that then can propel a company forward and can make it unique. So, so, so totally agree with you. All right. So tell me before we wrap up, because our time is close to the end, how does Avanica help unleash human potential? So what do you guys do for people? So if let's say if I'm looking for a job, is it the individual who is your customer or the individual you are helping individuals, but ultimately your customers are the companies that hire those individuals? So how, what do you do for people and how do you do that? Well, I would say our customer is the candidate, is the job seeker, is the person with the potential. The benefactor of that potential is often a client or a hiring partner, right? And that's who pays the bills. But at the end of the day, our focus has to be on the candidate and unleashing their potential. Because when we unleash their potential, the benefit of that goes to the company that hired them, right? The secret behind great companies is always great people, right? And so if you have the right people, anything becomes possible. You don't get discouraged by the leg breaking off when you're trying to pack a table or a desk into a vehicle, right? And so really where we come into play is by taking individuals that perceive themselves a certain way. They think they've got a skill set. They think they could do this. They think they can do that. They only they have a limited perspective on the world of work and what they might do. And through our scale and through our access to all different kinds of positions and companies and employers, we can really start to understand who is going to be better at one place versus another. Because you can have two people with very similar skill profiles, very similar backgrounds, who have slightly different preferences, right? And this is where some of the data science part comes in. The preferences are really what predict fit, right? And the preferences the two different candidates have can lead to either their success or failure at a different organization. If your preference is to be left alone and to not have anybody bugging you, like you're going to operate really well in an organization that functions that way. But if you are in an organization, but if you if your preference is to like have somebody checking in and making sure that every detail is right and just kind of giving you that constant reinforcement, you're going to want more of a micromanagement sort of culture and you'll thrive there. And you don't think of it as micromanagement. You think of it as like a caring environment, right? But like, yeah. these are the things that, that would never show up on a resume, never show up on a job description, but it's the kind of stuff that makes for a really healthy match. It's the way that, you know, if you think about people trying to find ro- like a romantic love, it's this, it's the little things like the, those values, those preferences, those quirks, those idiosyncrasies that really can make people work well together versus just like hair color, eye color, height, shoe size, like whatever whatever qualifications you're using. Yes. It's really those little things and those preferences and those quirks that really make all the difference. And so we unleash potential by just helping them tell it and then helping connect them to an opportunity where they can do great things. Fantastic. So if someone would like to learn more, or maybe they are that person that feel like they are not living up to their potential in their current job and they want to work with you, where can they reach you? How can they connect you? I mean, you can always go to avenica.com. There's an avenue where you can go and reach out to us and connect with us. And maybe the secret's out now, I guess, after I say this, but one of the things that, that even my team doesn't always know is that any inbound emails that come from an external source that come into our organization, I have access to because I like to see who's reaching out to us. I like to make sure that we're following up and solving concerns and responding fast enough and everything. So I see anybody that, you know, anybody that reaches out to us that wants to learn more or work with us in some way, I check that every single day. So that's one way. We get lots of those, but I do check them every day. Otherwise, hit us up on social media. We, we're active on TikTok and Instagram. 
or connect with me on LinkedIn. I accept, I think, pretty much any invitations to connect, and I'm always happy to learn from new people and meet people that are interested in unleashing their potential. Fantastic. Well, Scott, really enjoyed talking with you. Thank you. So, Scott Detman, CEO of Avenica, entry-level career launching company that is helping people find the right job for their potential and on the other side, help the employers to find those people that will not show up on the radar otherwise. So that's an awesome. Thanks for joining. Um, and those of you listening, stay tuned because every week I bring an exciting entrepreneur CEO who will share some secrets with you. 